Welcome to Carbon Streaming Corp's first podcast, part of our investor blog dedicated to the carbon credit markets. With us today, we have our founding CEO, Justin Cochran. Justin, thanks for joining us. Thanks, David. Pleasure to be here. So, carbon credits. They're not new, but they're not exactly old either. And I think it's fair to say that the carbon credit markets are just now emerging from their fledgling state. You've got governments and major institutional investors increasingly focused on this area, but for mainstream investors, it's only now that carbon credits are appearing on their radar, and very few people are aware of the massive growth phase that we're entering into. So with that in mind, let's start with the basics. What is a carbon credit? Yeah, thanks, David. So when we think about just carbon and a unit of carbon, what we're talking about is one metric ton of CO2, the carbon dioxide, uh, or the carbon dioxide equivalent of another greenhouse gas um, that is measured based on the amount of, of heat that it actually traps in the atmosphere. And so other greenhouse gases think methane, nitrous oxide, HFCs, etc. And then when we think about a credit, a carbon credit is one metric ton of that carbon dioxide gas or CO2 equivalent that is prevented from entering or absorbed from the atmosphere. So why is there a market for these credits? And in fact, why are there multiple markets? So the reason there's a market for, for carbon credits is that generally speaking, governments and corporations and others firmly believe that putting a price on carbon is the easiest way to encourage a reduction in greenhouse gases around the world. And so what you've seen today is there's over 64 different regulated carbon market and these exist through cap and trade programs or carbon tax programs like we have here in Canada and generally we refer to those 64 markets as what we call the compliance markets so those are regulated by government entities or other standardization bodies that regulate emissions on an annual basis and generally through a cap and trade program would see some reduction in the cap over time or some regulated price increases in the case of carbon taxes to, again, encourage, encourage those largest emitters that fall under those regulated programs to reduce emissions generally over the next sort of 10 to 20 year period. Let's get into the voluntary markets because there's huge growth potential at the voluntary level and it's going to be a major focus for Carbon Streaming Corp going forward. That's an excellent point. So when I, I just talked about the compliance market uh, and being, uh, you know, what we call the regulated regulated markets, but in conjunction with the compliance market, there is this this voluntary market, which is a a voluntary, as the word suggests, a voluntary effort by buyers and creators of these carbon credits to voluntarily reduce carbon emissions. And what you've seen is a massive increase in the interest in this market um, from a number of different places. So first off, from the institutional investor crowd who are largely focused on ESG themes today and the number one cited issue for money managers around the world today is climate change. You have the likes of BlackRock and Vanguard and 41 other asset management companies that manage almost $23 trillion of assets that have said they are targeting net zero emissions, so net, so no incremental uh, GHG emissions from their portfolios by 2050. So you've seen this massive move by the asset management crowd towards climate 
exchange friendly portfolios. So that's 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 one thing that's pushing this voluntary market. At the same time, because of the asset managers and generally corporations that are putting a lot more emphasis on on ESG criteria, you've seen a move from corporations look to voluntarily offset their emission footprint. And the way they do that, the way corporations offset their carbon footprint is to go out and buy what we call carbon offsets, which are carbon credits in the voluntary market. And so by corporations now having a renewed focus on climate change and asset managers that have the same focus on climate change, they're out there now encouraging the development, massive development and scale of voluntary markets. And the voluntary markets are are when you think of forestry-based projects, methane capture projects, they, they would be renewable energy projects that generate carbon credits. But they're projects that either avoid the emission of one ton of CO2. So in the case of a renewable energy project, if you think of a wind turbine or a solar-powered facility or, or hydro, et cetera, um, these are projects that through fuel switching, i.e. you know, reducing reliance on coal and natural gas as a form of power production, they're now receiving their power production from a renewable source. So that's avoiding the issuance of one ton of CO2 in these cases. Or the projects could be projects that directly remove or sequester additional tons of carbon. So think about a forestry-based project that's reforesting or replanting or avoiding the the deforestation or destruction of, of of trees, or a direct carbon capture project. There's been a fair amount of news lately on you know billions of dollars that are being invested in projects that will look to directly capture carbon and remove carbon out of the atmosphere. And so again, those are voluntary projects that corporations and in some cases governments are supporting to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So you have this massive move between asset managers, corporations to offset their emissions. You've got voluntary projects around the world that are being developed to provide the credits and the offset that these corporations and asset managers will look to buy. So the result is over the next decade, we're expecting an absolute massive increase in the, in the order of, of 10 to 15 times increase by the end of this decade in the size and scale of of the voluntary carbon market, which means trillions and trillions of dollars have to go into investing in these projects uh, around the globe to support demand that we're anticipating um, on the voluntary carbon side. And I imagine that companies are increasingly embracing the voluntary markets because they see it as a way to avoid the more expensive compliance markets. Yeah, so in many cases, if you are a regulated entity in in a regulated compliance market, you do have the ability to offset your carbon taxes by buying voluntary credit. So in Canada, using Canada as an example, our carbon price is uh, slated to increase to $170 Canadian per ton. By 2030, we're increasing at $15 a year up to 2030. And the government's announced a program that is on comment period today which will allow for those regulated emitters, so think your large industrial emitters, your power companies, and other manufacturing firms, that they would allow those emitters to actually buy 
credits from the voluntary market to offset their carbon taxes. So when you think of the carbon tax in that case in Canada, the carbon tax would sort of create a ceiling for the price of voluntary credits, which, as I said, is going to $170 by, by 2030. And can you tell us more about how these carbon offset projects are measured and verified? Yeah, so great question. So what what has happened, you know, the carbon markets, and, and certainly when you think of the voluntary carbon markets, they have been around since the days of, of the Kyoto Protocol uh, back in 1997. So they've been around for over 20 years, but they really didn't get formalized until the Paris Agreement uh, back in 2015. You now have over 190 parties that have signed, become signatories to the Paris the Paris Agreement. And when that happened, what you what you had or around that time, a number of different organizations and, and we call them independent standard bodies that came together to provide, you know, third party independent verification and validation of these voluntary projects uh, that I've talked about. The largest in the world is a, is a group called the Verified Carbon Standard based in Washington, D.C., which is called VERA for short form. VERA has, I believe, over 1,600 projects worldwide. And the next closest would be a group called Gold Standard, which is about a third of the size of the VERA program, which is a U.N.-backed program. There's a handful of other standard bodies that are generally quite common in the marketplace. But under these programs, there's a common set of methodologies and standards that must be met in order for a, for a project to qualify. And within the programs and using VERA as an example, there are annual audits that are conducted to verify the projects are doing what they set out to do, which you know is either the avoidance or reduction of CO2 or the actual removal or sequestration of greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. And these projects are, again, audited by independent firms on an annual basis before credits can be verified. So there is a lot more standardization and common agreement in the way carbon credits are written and traded today, a lot more transparency today than, than even existed you know, 18 to 24 months ago. So they're now creating a market that has a lot of transparency, generating a lot of confidence from buyers. And as a result, the price of these carbon credits, the value of these carbon credits has gone up significantly just over the last couple of years. Okay, so if you're an investor looking to get positioned in the carbon credit markets, what are your options? So part of the challenge today, if you're a retail or even an institutional investor, is there are not a lot of ways that you can get access to the carbon markets. There are these regulated markets that I've talked about. The EU emission trading scheme is by far the world's largest regulated market. That's the EU countries that participate in that program. That's a, that's a carbon credit that today trades around 50 euros a ton. And you have various institutional buyers that can invest in, and buy credits on that market. Similarly, there's a market called the Western Climate Initiative between California and Quebec, where you can buy regulated credit. And there's a program in the northeastern U.S. called the REGI, which stands for the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, where, again, you can participate in those markets. And there's various other markets around the world, but they're not really open to the retail space. And in some cases, the, the odd private equity fund or hedge fund that, again, is participating by buying credits in the compliance market. 
but nobody else that we've seen that is directly looking to participate in the voluntary markets. And this is investing capital into the voluntary carbon market to encourage the development of these much needed projects over the next decade. And that's where carbon streaming will be playing. And there's not a whole lot of alternatives to this, what we're launching here and believe we have a significant first mover advantage and intend to make the most of it. And that brings us to the meat of this particular podcast, the carbon streaming value proposition. Because the company isn't just going to be providing access to the carbon credit markets, it's going to be leveraging streaming as a business model. Can you take us through the details? So our carbon streaming is a business that is you know, primarily, first and foremost, taking a proven business model from the mining and oil and gas sector, now close to a $100 billion sector between the two, and applying that streaming, streaming model to the carbon credit space. And that's a space that myself, I've been involved with for over 15 years, led a number of successful companies in that space. And so we're, we're not reinventing the wheel in terms of the business model. It's taking a proven business model and applying it to the carbon world. And with a management team, including myself, that has done this many, many times before and invested billions of dollars in the sector. And so through that, we will look to directly invest in these carbon projects. And when, when we talk about an investment, what we're doing is making an upfront investment into one of these voluntary carbon projects, in some cases, compliance projects, but for the most part in these voluntary projects, where we, in, we make an upfront investment in exchange for a percentage of the carbon credits that are created from these projects. In some cases, that percentage is only 20% of the carbon credits that are created. In other cases, it could be 100% of the, of the carbon credits that are created from the projects. So we get the marketing rights to those credits. And then we enter into a revenue sharing model with the project owner or project developer, where we will share, in some cases, 90% of our carbon credit revenue with, with the project developer. In other cases, only 40% of our carbon credit revenue with the project developer. So very, very project um, dependent. But as a result, we will be investing in a number of these projects around the world that are generating carbon credits, and we will be buying and monetizing those carbon credits. We will use the proceeds to reinvest into new projects and ultimately look to pay a dividend and return capital to, to shareholders. And how long, on average, will these contracts and projects last? You know, these projects tend to be 30, 40, in some cases, 100-year projects where they're generating carbon credits for, for decades. And our contracts are life-of-project contracts. And by virtue of receiving the carbon credits over, over that period of decades, we will have direct leverage to higher carbon prices. And remember, carbon prices are being regulated and managed to go higher over the next decade to encourage the world to reduce our reliance on greenhouse gas emissions. And of course, that's all part of our commitments under the Paris Agreement. So we've got a proven business model with leverage to a commodity that in many cases has a price that's being regulated to go higher. And I've been working for now over a year and a half, building an incredible pipeline of opportunities, many of which will be very excited to announce in the coming weeks and coming months, and truly providing a unique asset for retail and institutional investors to, to, to buy into 
with a very, very strong environmental and, and social impact investing policy. And what can you share with us about those policies? So we will be making investments into projects that meet a very rigorous set of environmental, social and sustainability investment requirements. And what does that mean? It means that we're investing in projects where there is a substantial co-benefit associated with the projects. And these co-benefits generally are supporting significant community and biodiversity investments alongside of the carbon projects themselves. So think of a rainforest in the jungles of Brazil, as an example, or Southeast Asia or Africa, where we're investing in projects that are supporting the local communities, investing in things like healthcare and education and job training and biodiversity benefits such as you know, savings, the number of endangered species, whether animal or, or, or flora and fauna based. And so we very much will be an ESG focused and principled company that retail and institutional investors can, can support, be a true impact investor because the dollars that we spend will directly go to improving the lives of the local communities and at the same time be used to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and look to reverse the impacts of climate change. So basically, Carbon Streaming Corp is building long-term revenue streams in a market which is being powered by two, well, let's face it, unstoppable growth trends, ESG and the decarbonisation of the global economy. And we will certainly, through some of our other blogs, be talking about the expected demand of voluntary carbon credits. But whether it's from corporate or financial buyers, or think of the airline industry and the shipping industry, the airline industry and shipping industry alone, each of them have about a billion tons of CO2 emissions on an annual basis. The entire size of the voluntary carbon market today is about 150 million tons. And so just if you were to offset emissions from shipping and airlines, which are two industries that absolutely should be buying carbon offsets to offset their carbon footprint, you're talking about a market that's got to scale by 15 times just to meet their demand. Uh, and that's only two industries, of course. So we expect tremendous incremental demand from corporate America, from corporate Europe, who are massive buyers today, from the airline and shipping industry and others in a market that is going to be supported all the way from governments to asset managers to corporate CEOs. The growth potential for the carbon credit sector is just phenomenal. And it's a perfect time for the company to be entering into the market. Well, that's all we've got time for today, Justin. Thanks for giving us an introduction to the industry and to Carbon Streaming Corp. We will speak again soon. Excited to do it, David. Thank you very much. And thanks to all for listening.